hey, it's a Memorial Day here in the United States and time for Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee for May 28th, 2018. Thanks for joining me. I'll have uh, decaf with, I think it's soy, soy cream, sweet vanilla cream. Uh, well, if you caught last week's Monday Morning Coffee and watched the video, you saw a little road trip I took over to Central Oregon for a camp out with old radio buddies and other uh, hangers on. Uh, loads of fun, but you know, it's good to be back in the saddle again. It's a lazy boy. <laughs> And don't forget to grab my new book, Trade Show Superheroes and Exhibiting Zombies, 66 Lists, Making the Most of Your Trade Show Marketing. It's on Amazon. It's a paperback, around 20 bucks, or Kindle download. Very cheap for the Kindle download, all right? Uh, got an interview today with MC and keynote speaker Tom Singer. And I love uh, talking with people who basically talk for a living because they're always easy to talk to. They have great answers to questions and don't mind answering virtually anything you throw at them because, you know, they've probably heard it all before. That's what they do. Uh, I ran across Tom on Twitter, I think. I found his website and sent a note and said, would you be on my Trade Show Guy Monday morning coffee? And he said, of course. So this is what that came out to be. I'd like to welcome Tom Singer to Trade Show Guy Monday morning coffee. Good morning, Tom. It's a pleasure to have you on board. Appreciate your time. Good morning to you, Tim, and good morning to your audience. Indeed. Uh, Tom, uh, I, you know, I've never met before. Uh, we kind of spoke in the green room just for a minute here, um, but I ran across you, I think, on Twitter. Something about what you said or did intrigued me, and frankly, it's been a couple of weeks. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I thought, well, <laughs> let's connect, and let's see what we can do here. And, and uh, your site, your, your website, TomSinger.com. Uh, so tell me a little bit about yourself. What do you actually do? So Tim, I've, for the last nine plus years, I've made my living as a keynote speaker and a professional master of ceremonies. So I spend a lot of time at conferences and trade shows and company meetings, talking uh, with audiences about how to connect better with people and how to reach their full potential in whatever it is they're trying to accomplish in their life, in their career, getting teams more energized. So I've been doing that for a long time. I also, like I said, I'm a master of ceremonies. One of the great things about uh, shows that use a master of ceremonies is they get higher energy and uh, more consistency throughout their entire event. And I like doing that. So how did you get into that? I'm just curious. Is it something you did as a, as a youngster? You like to get up in front of people? Because a lot of people are like, oh, I can't get up in front of people. It you know, took me a while. Although being in radio is a lot easier because I can speak into a mic all day long. But getting <laughs> in front of a crowd is a different thing. And so you've, you've kind of got to learn that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I would love to say I was just sort of naturally great at speaking, which that wasn't true. But I joined a Toastmasters club when I was younger in my career. So oh, yeah. I said that, that whether you want to speak professionally or not, just being able to carry yourself well and think on your feet was important. I had a boss who encouraged me to join a Toastmasters club. And then I became the marketing director for a law firm. And hmm. the managing partner said, look, you're really well connected in the community the lawyers stink at that. I want you to create a class for the lawyers on how to network better. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I literally thought, they're gonna fire me. There, there's no CLE credit because in Texas, they could only get the credit for legal training, not for business skills training. And it was gonna be an hour and a half long. And at the end, one of the partners raised his hand and I didn't know him, I'd only worked there about a month and there's about 50 people in the room. I called on him and he goes, I have a complaint about this whole training. And I thought, oh my God. Oh, no. <laughs> really, and this is how we do it in a law firm. We just throw the speaker in front of the bus, and, right. in front of everybody. And he said, uh, this was the best training I've ever been to outside of legal training. This shouldn't have been one class. This should be something you do quarterly. 
And wow. he made me create ongoing classes on business skills for the lawyers. And they started sending me around the country to all the other offices and we got the same feedback. So Interesting. I, yeah, so I started to believe I was good at it. And then I was in the <laughs> Washington DC office and one of the partners said, why do you work for us? Why don't you just go and do this? Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's, that's a thing, I guess. So that's how it sort of happened. So, so you're basically uh, work for yourself. Um, yep. is that, so you you manage whatever business you have and, and, and you have people do admin stuff or you do it yourself. So, but you, you probably solicit the business or, or it comes by word of mouth and that sort of thing. Uh, and you, you say you've done this for about nine years. Yeah, I've been doing it. Uh, I got laid off from my job. I was the marketing director for a consulting firm and I got laid off on April 1st, 2009. And the, the irony of being laid off on April 1st has never been lost on me, but I've been on my own ever since. Well, you know, you bring up April 1st, my very first day in radio, uh, we're talking the 1975 was April 1st and I spent 25 years being a disc jockey. So there you go. April 1st. I, I always like the irony in that as well. So you said uh, Texas, are you based in Texas? I, I've lived in Austin, Texas for the last 27 years. Oh, uh, I was born and raised in, yeah. yeah, I was born and raised in Southern California. Uh, my wife is a fifth generation Northern Californian. We thought we would stay in Texas for like three years and 27 years later, we're, we're still here. Still there. And so, but, but I'm guessing you work all over the country. Do you work internationally at all? Uh, so I don't call myself an international speaker. Sometimes I run into people who spoke once in Puerto Rico and they call themselves an international speaker. And I have to remind them that Puerto Rico is part of the United States. But yes. uh, I have had the pleasure to speak in Bahamas, Bermuda, Canada, and in China. But most of my work is in, is in the uh, Continental 48. So when you're talking about keynote speaking versus emceeing, how do you, what is the difference between those? I mean, I can, I, I can understand, but, but how do you, you know, pitch those types of things and how do you get the, the, the different types of jobs there? I'm just curious. So my, my original topic was about how do you connect better in a world where everybody's on their phones. And when I started doing this nine years ago, the smartphone had just been introduced right. and every, everybody at all of these conferences were spending their time kind of staring into their phones like yeah. this during the breaks. <laughs> and, and so my original keynote was called connecting with people in a gadget crazy world. Oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah. And it, it actually had an impact on the conference because I would halfway through the speech, I would talk about, let's use the next three days at this event as a human laboratory, you know, when do you take your phones out? When do you keep them in your pocket or your purse? And meeting planners liked it. And they started asking me to come back the next year, but they didn't want the same keynote speaker. They like sure. to, to shake that up. Yeah. So they started saying, could you be the MC? And so what I do is I take that content about how do we make a conference better? How do we get people, I mean, people go to trade shows and conferences, they go to learn, but they also go for the networking opportunities. Oh, yeah. So I, yeah. I take the content about, how do we really connect better when we're in a live situation? And I weave it in. And instead of doing it in an hour keynote, I do it in seven minutes here, 10 minutes there. And then I serve in that traditional MC role the rest of the time. Interesting. Okay. That, yeah, a little different approach, but you can still get a, a great message across. And I think you're right. Uh, conferences and events and trade shows are about meeting face to face. But when you've got the gadgets, uh, you kind of have to, to consciously, you know, put it down. So... Uh, to, to really make a person to person connection, shake hands, look somebody in the eyes, but people like to do that. That's, that's what I think, uh, why that event world is still, uh, very, very successful. So. Well, they, they were worried about the event world when all this streaming came on, everybody thought, well, conferences, people just sit at their computers and watch the speakers. Right. Uh, but 2017 and 2018 are breaking records for the number yep. of live events. So people yep. are hungry yeah. to make those connections. And what I do at an event is make those connections actually happen. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, I, the show I've gone to for 15, 16 years is Natural Products Expo West, their biggest year ever. They're at 80,000 attendees and yep. 3,500 exhibitors. So, and it keeps growing. They, they're, they're bursting at the seams um, and, and more and more people want to go each year. So uh, let's touch on your podcast, Cool <laughs> Things uh, Entrepreneurs Do. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. So about four years ago, I started interviewing entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business people, people in all industries about how they found success. And I thought I was only going to do 50 episodes. Somebody told me if you interview 50 successful people, it's like getting a college degree. You'll learn something that oh, you'll sure, never yeah. be taken away. And uh, I never stopped after the initial 50 interviews. And I've now done 360, 370 episodes. Uh, most of those are interview. A few of them are just me. But uh, I interview people about how did they become an entrepreneur or, or, or how did they become successful in their job if they're just intrapreneurial mm -hmm. and then what advice they have for other people. And it's, it's amazing because there's certain trends. However, certain people have approached things differently than other people. So, you know, if you listen to enough shows, you start picking up some similarities, but also some real differences. So that's how I started doing it. And the show's become a really important part of, you know, of my career. Not that I speak about entrepreneurship, but I have become, having interviewed over 300 people, right. I do have a lot to say on that topic. And so sometimes I am brought in to talk on entrepreneurship, but really, you know, talking about connecting and, and, and reaching your potential in, in what I do in my keynotes, a lot of that is still based in the same things that these successful entrepreneurs are teaching us. So the, the podcast and my speaking career have kind of intermingled in, into each other. So when you started that, I'm curious, did you have, you said you got a specific goal, you wanted to interview 50. Uh, what did you think you would get out of that versus what actually came out of it? Well, originally I saw someone speak and they said, if you ever feel like you're in a rut, go interview 50 successful people. And, and they were just talking about interviewing them. It wasn't about creating a podcast or a right. blog. Just, just, just an informational interview. Right. If you go talk to 50 successful people, they said success leaves clues. There's no uh -huh. way you could come out of 50 interviews and not have picked up something that will get you out of that rut you're in. So that was sort of the initial plan. Not that I was in a rut, but that was sort of the initial plan was just personal inspiration. But other people started listening to the show and they started telling me how one specific episode or a series of them helped them break through their own walls. So it became a little bit of sort of a labor of love to do this, yeah. not just for myself, yeah. but, but for the audience. And uh, I've really, like I said, it's become a very important part of who I am. I, I bet, you know, it's, it's and, and, and I hate to say that I kind of kind of like the word, but it's a branding thing. That's one of the reasons I do the, the weekly trade show guy, Monday morning coffee. I wanted to kind of put myself out there in a different way. Uh, obviously having done radio for, uh, almost three decades. It, it was easy to do and, and I like talking. And so uh, kind of building that into the trade show world is, 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 is fun. I, I like doing it. I like getting in front of the, the, the camera and the, and the microphone and doing it. So I, 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 I admire that you do that. So let's name drop a few. Have you talked to anybody that uh, we'd recognize off the top of our heads here? Oh boy, you didn't ask me that in advance. I know. You know, the, pro <laughs> the problem with doing 300 interviews is they all start to blur together. I've, I've done a lot of professional speakers and authors and writers, people who live in my world. So people like Dory Clark, Brian Fanzo, and Neen James, and people who, they may not be famous to the outside world, but people who in the world of meetings, I mean, if you don't know who Dory Clark and Brian Fanzo and Neen right. James are, you should go look because they're just three of hundreds of people I've interviewed who would make great speakers on the thing. But I have interviewed CEOs of some company. The one that pops into mind was the, the CEO of Ghirardelli Chocolate, and what a cool interview, because who doesn't want to grow up to run a chocolate exactly. company? 
you know. Exactly. And, and yeah. He he was in sales with them and became sales manager. And as as sales manager, he doubled the size of the company. And this is a hundred year old brand. Right. They made him CEO, and the brand has continued to grow. So, you know, learning from someone who, while he didn't found the company, was certainly entrepreneurial in his sales role and now his CEO role. You know, that one just always has stood out to me. That and afterwards, he sent me a box of chocolate. So. Oh, well, perfect. And I think stories really are what we humans attach ourselves to in, in, in hearing stories, specific stories about how someone, you know, that you're interested in, how did they become successful? What is their story? It's easy to understand and, and internalize the, the information than just uh, fact figures and bullet points and things like that. So stories are great and people, oh. people are stories. So Well, and I mean, you said it. Stories are, are how information sticks. We've gotten into yeah. a world where everybody wants the research and the big data behind everything. But if you go back 2,000 years, man didn't sit around the campfire and pass out spreadsheets or graphs. <laughs> they educated generations by telling stories. I mean, before yes. we had the written word, people told stories. So our brains are actually wired for a really yeah. good story. Yeah. And, and, and I consider myself a storyteller. When I'm hired to speak at a, a trade show or a conference, my job is to tell stories that are going to stick in people's mind because they'll always remember that conference if the speakers do a good job. And one of the things, I, I went to Toastmasters too for like 10 years, and one of the things that uh, someone recommended is you should, you should come up with about 50 of your own personal stories that you can drop into various uh, presentations you give that relate to what you're trying to uh, express and what you're trying to explain. Because if it's a personal story, you're, you're going to remember it. And it's not somebody else's story, so you're not trying to tell that story about the, the seashells at the seashore, whatever, you know. Well, well, you bring up a really interesting one, right? The starfish, right? Throwing right. the starfish oh, yeah, yeah. back into the water. In, in the world of, like, really seasoned speakers, that's considered an amateur move. Of course. To tell yeah. that story, because anyone could tell the story about, oh, I made a difference to just that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> but if, if you have a story about something that you experienced where you, you know, you, you conquered, you know, whatever your fears were or the obstacles were, no one else can steal that story. That's, yeah. that's yours. And it really is the proof of a better speaker when you can personalize everything. Yeah, it's, you own it. So, and that's, and that it's, it make, it's very authentic too. So, uh, Tom, let's finish up here just a couple of things. I know that uh, one of your videos on uh, your website, I, I watched a couple of them, had to do with how to reach your potential. I'd love it if you'd share a few tips on how to reach your potential. Well, so a couple of years ago, I started doing some research on sort of how people felt about were they reaching their potential in their career? And, and while it's not academic, I'm not a PhD, it's not academic research, even the anecdotal research that I found now that I've interviewed 300 people via a survey and about 30 of them in person is most people are saying, yeah, I, I could be doing more. So if you've got a company or a team and 70 plus percent of the people on your team feel they could be doing more in their job, that's not a good thing. You want everybody to do as much as they can. So we get excited about potential when we hire somebody and then Becky has a lot of potential. Two years later, she's not producing. Well, how come? She had potential. So potential doesn't equal results. And what I've yeah. found is everybody on your team is being held back by something different. We want like a magic bullet. We want to build a bridge across that gap, put everybody on the same bus and drive them across. But it doesn't work that way. Plus, you can't build a bridge because as you go across the gap, you're going to end up with more potential. You're going to meet new people. You're going to listen to a new podcast. You're going to read a new book and your potential will shift. Therefore, the whole bus is going to go into the ravine. So what I've found is no matter what's holding people back, the answers really fall into three buckets and it's your plan, okay. your purpose, and your people. And so the plan is simply goal setting. Is everybody really have an individual set of targets of what they're trying to achieve in their goals? Your purpose kind of goes back to what Simon Sinek calls knowing your why. 
you know, what motivates it? And again, everyone on your team, some are motivated by money, some are motivated by status, some are motivated by being part of the team. It's different for everybody. There's not a one size fits all. And then the last bucket is the people. And that goes back to everything I've taught from the beginning about your network and connecting with people in a gadget crazy world is do you have mentors? Do you have the right network? You know, do you have people who are supporting you in the rough times? And if you don't, you're going to fail. So it's your plans, your purpose, and your people. If you can get those lined up, then you're going to get farther across that gap in an easier, in an easier way. Cool. And we'll, we'll uh, leave it on that. So uh, pleasure to speak to Tom Singer. Uh, Tom, what's the best way to uh, find you online? Uh, TomSinger.com, T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. Very good. A pleasure. Uh, live from Austin. <laughs> Great city. I want to go back. And I hope to get to see you speak sometime. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Thanks again to Tom Singer. Uh, find him at TomSinger.com. That's T-H-O-M Singer.com. Great to make the connection. Uh, this week's trade show tip. Uh, you know, I got to thinking about the trade show tip of the week I did last week that I did in front of uh, the lake, Sada Lake. I just came up with this thing. I outlined uh, you know, a handful of emails that you might consider sending to your email list prior to the show. So let's talk about the uh, old-fashioned approach, sending out a series of snail mails prior to the show. Let's say uh, you're going to plan this whole series that starts about four months prior to the show. First, you might do is uh, send a postcard. It's one of the basically a save-a-date Gives the bare bones of the show, including dates, times, booth number, assuming you have that, etc. And and you know that shows up in your prospects' inbox, uh, their mailbox, and they go, "Oh, postcard. Okay, well, okay, I can I can read a postcard. You, you don't have to open anything. They won't just throw it out without not looking at it. I mean, they will look at it. So, a couple of weeks later, maybe three weeks later, send something else. Maybe another postcard. Maybe an actual letter. Uh, but you should add a little more information, such as the products you're promoting, the products you're launching, or have a special guest at the booth. Give out the times that this person, whoever that person may be, is going to be there. So, wait another few weeks and send something else. Third email, okay, or third third snail mail. Now you're just a couple of months before the show, so you might even reference the idea of making sure that the receiver's travel plans are in order. Uh, you might even do a tease about something coming up. Let's say you're going to give away a prize, but to be entered to win, they have to you know, bring something spe- specific to the show and that you'll send them that specific thing to the show right before the show. So now they're going to be watching their mail for something to come in if they're interested in what you've got to offer, see? Uh, so, But for them to get that specific thing they have to bring by the booth for a chance to win that cool prize or collect that you know premium giveaway to only the people that bring that thing by, they have to confirm their attendance at the show by going online to a web site that's shown on the card, give them the URL. That way you're not only steering them to the website to confirm their attendance, you're confirming their interest in that thing that you're giving away, maybe just to a few people, maybe uh, only to 20 people, uh, the first 20 people that show up if it's, if it's a really nice prize. Uh, this is a perfect place to ask them maybe two or three questions, quick survey, and maybe the option of scheduling an appointment if they're really interested in your product or service. So they can do that uh, on the website. So, you know, there's a lot you can do with mail and email. I talked about email last week, but snail mail. Uh, to get prospects to come to the show. So be creative, get them to come to your booth, have a reason for following up, uh, tease something you're going to send them to, maybe uh, get them to come back to the booth uh, or by the booth with a chance to win something even better. You know, have all your ducks in a row to ask them the right questions to determine if they're really a hot prospect. So I think that's a great way to look at uh, sending out snail mails to uh, maybe your top 50 or top 100 prospects that you have a pretty good idea are going to be at the show or they should be at the show, all right? So let's close it out with one good thing. 
Uh, I think it's the BBC this week. I, I actually picked up an album recently uh, that, that brought the BBC back into my brain. Uh, if you're no rock fan like me, you'll appreciate what the BBC did with a lot of the rock bands of the 60s, live sessions in their studios that they aired on the BBC. Of course, the Beatles, probably the most famous, but there is a new CD out uh, called Rolling Stones On Air. It's like got uh, the deluxe version. I think that's what I got. It's got... Um, I think 18 live and studio recordings. Deluxe edition has an additional 14 tracks. I know the one I got has a lot of tracks on it. And it's really cool because a lot of them are cover songs that they, they never put on an album. And some others are like some you know big hits like uh, Can't Get No Satisfaction in a in different version. But boy, this is from the 60s, from probably 63 or 4 up to about 67. So there's a lot of stuff from many, many sessions that they did. So BBC, that's uh, and, and the, the uh, Rolling Stones on-air album. That's my one good thing. Have yourself a great week. Hope you had a good holiday weekend, and we'll catch you next time on Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee.